Welcome to the Change Management Reviews Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. On this episode, Editor-in-Chief Teresa Moulton talks with Dr. James Bone, an author and expert in the field of change management. His impressive client list includes major hospitals and manufacturing organizations, as well as nonprofits. With more from Dr. James Bone, here is Teresa Moulton. Welcome to the Change Management Reviews Podcast. Today we have Dr. Jim Bone visiting with us. Dr. Jim Bone has served in a variety of roles in the corporate world since 1973, personally leading the transformation of multiple underperforming teams to achieve award-winning levels of success. After several decades with a Fortune 100 company, Dr. Own change management and organizational transformation practice, Proaxius. Dr. Bone has a unique blend of hands-on, in-the-trenches experience, in addition to a rich pedigree of research from his PhD studies. As a leader, Dr. Bone has personally led significant change management projects. He has served in roles ranging from the shop floor to design, engineering, sales, and service. His customers include major hospital networks, manufacturing organizations, global legal teams, finance groups, and nonprofits in projects ranging from leadership team development, mergers, organizational analysis, and large-scale change implementation, including ERP projects across the U.S. and Europe. He is considered an expert on change, and his book, Architects of Change, Practical Tools for Executives to Build, Lead, and Sustain Organizational Initiatives was released in July of 2015. The book was endorsed by GE, Walgreens, Lowe's, and Comfort Systems USA, among others. Dr. Bone recently authored his second book, The Nuts and Bolts of Leadership, endorsed by Sodexo and the Water Council of Milwaukee. So without further ado, welcome, Jim. Hi, how are you today? I'm doing fine, thank you. I'm really excited that uh, we're going to learn more about your, you, your book, and some of your experience in the field. Well, I sure am grateful for the opportunity to talk with you today. It's, it's always fun to talk shop with people who get it, and that's one of the reasons I like the organization that you've put together. So thank you again. It's an honor to be here, and I'm, and I'm grateful. That's great. I appreciate your uh, compliment as well. So one of the things that I love to ask people when we get them going on a podcast is, how did you get into this change management field? We all come from different places, and it's always a different story. Well, it's a, a kind of an interesting blend of some of my background that you already mentioned. Um, but I would say that when I was young, I spent time uh, as a performer and as an entertainer from the time that I was very young, and I, I noticed that I had the ability to read audiences most of the time when things were going poorly. Um, but, you know, as a young person, you, you pick up sort of different emotional cues from people, and the more that I did that kind of thing, it was like, well, this is interesting. I sort of put that on the back burner and went into my career. I started out on the, on the drafting board, did engineering and sales, um, but there came a point in time when I started working with a project team, and none of those people on that team reported to me at all. Um, I was a pretty young pup at the time, but I noticed that people responded. But I also noticed that some of them struggled with different things along the way. So, again, I tucked those data points in the background. 
And an opportunity came up for me to move from an engineering group into HR. Of course, all my engineering friends thought I'd lost my mind. But I was, I was so interested in working with people, uh, and it just seemed like such a natural fit, that I, I took that opportunity. And in the meantime, I uh, started to study more in my master's degree at UWM. I was going to night school there. It actually took me 10 years to finish my Ph.D. at night. I don't recommend that. Uh, but it, <laughs> It's sort of an exercise in uh, persistence more than intelligence. But what happened along the way is, I, and I, I noticed people struggled uh, to adju adjust to new things. And I started to read about change. I mean, this is like probably 20 years ago, change from guys like John Cotter, you know, the, the great arch archbishop of change. And it made sense to me. And it was like, okay, this makes sense, but how can I apply this? And progressively, I started to get into bigger and bigger projects within my company, and there came a time where they specifically needed someone to manage change within the organization as a huge, huge merger. And by that point in time, I was almost done with my Ph.D. Uh, actually, in fact, I was done with my Ph.D. at that time. And I had studied buckets of leadership and group dynamics and change and uh, personal motivation and personality theory. Continued to assemble all those things together. And uh, the formal position came up, but I, I was preparing for that the entire time because at the end of the day, when people ask me what I do and change, I just say one very simple thing. I help people adjust to new things. Mm -hmm. And that's re uh, really a lot of management in general is about is helping people adjust to new things, except what makes us interesting uh, to the organization is we understand the personal psychology, uh, social dynamics, group dynamics, all those things that other people don't get because they don't study them. But uh, that's kind of how I got into it. See, there, there was no path for change, per se, early in my career, uh, but there was uh, intimations of it going on out in the, the, the um, universities. You could hear some things rumbling out there, but it was more about personal change at that time, interpersonal change. But uh, organizational change really started to come into its own probably in the 90s, and I was I was getting prepped at that point in time, and about 10 years later, uh, I was ready to go. And so that's a long uh, long way around, but you're right. No one just walks into it. I mean, these days it's a little bit more precise because people know change management, but not back then. Uh, it was just more of a, an understanding that people had to adjust to things, and some managers were really good at it, and some were terrible. And, again, those are data points that I watched as well finding, okay, what did people do to make people comfortable adjusting to change, and what kinds of things happened when things did not go well with change? What was that about? So I suppose in some ways I'm a social scientist who uh, just happened to occupy a manager's body. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. I think uh, your description of what you do is one of the pithiest explanations of uh, a change management advisor that I've ever heard. Uh, so that, that's, uh, that's great. So, I think part of that part of that's real simple. I mean, you, when you have to explain to executives what you do, you know, they they are so cynical about change that they're worried about the kumbaya and all that. But if you tell them, I'll help your organization adjust to some new things, they get that. Right. So they know if, if their organization doesn't adjust to it, you can bring in all the technology you want to, but uh, it's it's not part of the DNA. Uh, they've lost their money. Right. It's interesting, too, the word adjust versus the word adopt. You know, there's a very subtle nuance there, but it it feels different, I think. Uh, I, I think, think it is. It. I think it is because uh, adopting something means I've 
completely bought into it, and, and it's my heart and soul, and it's me and all the rest of that. Adjusting is, you know, I used to use this system, and now i got to use this system, and then, yeah, I can do that. I may not be completely sold on it, but I, I, can, I, can, do, I can do that going forward. You know, there's nuances to both of those elements, I'm sure. Right, right. So I was curious, um, Jim, in your book, Architects of Change, Practical Tools for Executives, to build, lead, and sustain organizational initiatives, um, I was very curious about uh, why you use the analogy of an architect. Well, again, my, my whole goal in my life with any kind of complex stuff is to simplify it so that everybody gets it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes academics sort of walk around in this strange ether, and uh, you know, people just don't understand. Well, what, what are you talking about? But if you tell them architect, everybody knows what an architect is, and um, immediately it brings to mind the images of what people are about. And an architect is responsible for the whole dang thing. An architect is responsible for understanding the greenfield operations, selecting land, looking at the base of the building, the foundation, uh, all those elements. They're, they're responsible for understanding some of the general contractor stuff. Now, they're not doing all that, but an architect is this sort of strange overseer that sees literally from the day that the first shovel goes into the ground until the capping off and the last light switch is put in and people walk in the building. I mean, it's a, it's a massive responsibility. And again, they're influencing it along the way. But they also have one huge advantage. They saw cognitively or in their mind something that did not exist. And executives, when they get prepared to do change, see things that don't exist. They see a design. They see an outcome. They see um, revenue benefits. They see changes in organizations. It's all very cognitive, no different than an architect. And then they begin to design it. And what executives do um, they design it within the context of leadership team, you know, how can we install XYZ system? And, and then an architect to carry the analogy on through clearly is engaged. They put a hard hat on, they walk the site, they check to make sure that things are being installed properly. The general contractor is actually doing the work, but this architect is this overseeing supervisory role to ensure that the design and the concept that they had becomes real. And, I, and I, I liked it because an architect's really not done until they hand the keys to the person who purchased that building. And I think what happens very often in change management, and I know you've seen this, and, and every person who listens to this podcast seen it, a really good architect will make sure that everything gets done, right down to the carpet and the colors and the design. Um, a bad architect will start the project and go someplace else. Mm. And the executives that start <laughs> projects and don't finish them create what I call monuments, but they do not create trophies. Mm. Monuments, monuments are um, you know, evidence of something that happened, a piece of history, but not necessarily good. But a good architect, a good executive architect, can carry that change all the way through until his or her people are using a new system, until they've adopted to the new location, until they have the new processes in mind, until they've accepted the new uh, payroll system. I mean, all of what goes on and change. So I think it's... I think it's a pretty powerful um, um, uh, morphology, I really do, and that's bragging a little bit, but it just made so much sense to me, and I thought, well, what do they do? They put it up a foundation and so forth, so hopefully that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, it does make sense. I like the point about, you know, a good architect, um, 
you know, making sure the colors are done all the way down to the key in the front door. And uh, that's very, very similar to um, integration approaches and um, project work, you know, that we do as change practitioners. So I think it's often, um, I think to myself, you know, one of the reasons that I actually uh, operated as a consultant in a small business is so I could see the big picture and see the project from start to finish versus going in for a smaller, you know, a phase or two because it just didn't feel right not being able to actually lock the door and hand the keys over. So I, I really understand what you're talking about. And if you think about it, that is the ultimate achievement in change management. The ultimate achievement is people are using a new system. Not only are they using it, but they've, they've adjusted to it. There hasn't been a lot of turnover. And all of the influence of the change manager working specifically with an executive, that is, that is a massive accomplishment that most people don't take credit for. But ultimately, um, to me, that's the most exciting thing about change is to see that thing actually become part of the DNA of the organization, no different than the architect uh, handing over the keys. Right, right. You know, and as um, I was thinking about our discussion today, I was thinking uh, also, you know, about what gets in the way of good change management, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Well, what gets in the way of good change management, I think there are probably three things. Uh, number one is executives that just really haven't bought into their own project. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we know that. So I won't spend a lot of time on the executive sponsorship. Uh, but uh, clearly, we, we, that's a make or break for us. But another thing that gets in the way of good change management, I think, is um, change managers who start to use change management speak. Using things, using things like let's do a RAISI chart or here's a stakeholder matrix. And I mean, we get all that stuff, but that's no different than going into a foreign country and trying to interpret their customs uh, and their initiatives. It's more important to get to some plain spoken language and say, can you tell me all of the people that are going to be using this system? Very clear question, and that provides an executive with a very clear set of parameters to work within. Um, have you decided what you're going to put into the system, what you're not going to put in the system? We talk about scope and we talk about that sort of thing, but I'm concerned that we, we, the language that we use is no different than if IT people come in and use their language or HR people use their terminology. What it does is it really taxes the minds of our hearers. And, mm. so and in so doing, quite frankly, can be very off-putting at times because it makes us sound like we're some sort of special group. Now, we are. We really are. But I think in any kind of management circumstance, you have to have a, a respect for the fact that people don't really care about what you know, what they're interested in is what you can do for them. So I think that's a big one. And I think the final one is uh, what gets in the way of good change management is having the wrong people on the team. Mm. And I think, I think good change managers, when, when, when push comes to shove, have the courage and, quite frankly, the audacity to go to the executive and say, you know, Joe Smith is simply not working out on our team. Um, you know, I know that he was available during this time, but he needs to leave and we need to have an, a replacement because not only is he not pulling his weight, but he's also a negative influence on the team talking about how difficult things are. And I think getting the wrong team together and not adjusting for it and just sort of accepting it as carte blanche and, and that's the way it's going to be, that one can really hurt. So 
if you don't have good executive support, if you're using strange language that people don't understand and it's off-putting, and if you don't have the right team, that will all get in the way of good change management. Because conversely, if you have executives that really want to get this done, they've got it in their bones, and you are talking with clear language that everyone on that team understands, and you've got a team together that's ready to, to rock and roll and has the firepower, you will get the work done. I mean, there are other things, but those are the three that come to mind. Yeah, those are really good. And, you know, on the second one about the language uh, that we use, I think that is so true. And sometimes it's a sign uh, It's a sign to me that the person who is using it all the time is almost insecure in terms yeah. of being able to just go with the flow and meet the client where they are. And, um, you know, everything has a place, those generalizations there, but... I think it's true. And in your book, you talked about cognitive load. And I'm wondering, you know, what you think about the cognitive load that um, overwhelming language brings to people as they're experiencing change. Well, I think if you look, this is a little bit technical, but if you look at one of my five uh, principles for helping people adjust to change, the second one is mm-hmm. simpl- simplify, and it's simplify. Uh, to increase uh, adoption. And the reason I say that is because the human brain, the human brain uses fuel. For example, if you're going down the freeway and you've gone that same way a thousand times over the last three years and all of a sudden you see orange barrels, immediately your brain is detecting this and it's starting to fry what's called glutamate, which Mm -hmm. is sugar. And it causes people to have to think, even sometimes people will say, well, this change is giving me a headache. That's physically true. And so the more that we put um, a tax on somebody that has to think about a, a complex word or multiple complex words, I mean, if you think about sitting through an IT discussion when you're trying to influence or implement an, a, a new CRM, it's mind-bending, and it's largely mm. because we can't understand the language and we're working three or four times as hard to follow somebody because you really need to do that. So I, I think it's no different than learning a new language. Um, the cognitive overload that happens is, is something that we can prevent from happening, even as good change managers, making sure meetings are run smoothly, that we don't use a lot of terms that people don't need. And um, I, I just think that the less that we force people to work at, at the change, is better. And there's one other element of that I don't want to forget. There's cognitive overload that comes in when we ask somebody to figure out our change. Mm. Let, me tell you, let me tell you what I mean by that. You have a great change, it's a cool idea, but you haven't thought through enough as change leaders and as a team to cipher out some of the impact of those things going forward, and now you've given that to the people to figure out they get really irritated because they're actually solving your change. And that's cognitive overload. That's really hard. And it, we, we wonder why people resist it's not necessarily because they're malevolent in any way. It's because they're working super hard to figure out what we came up with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's really not theirs. No. Now, it may still not be theirs, but at least if they come to us and say, well, you know, when you did this, have you thought about this? And then to turn to them and say, you know, we did. And this is how we're going to cover it. All of a sudden, it eases one less problem that they personally have to solve. Anytime right. we force people to figure out our change, we're going to increase the amount of resistance we get because it's additional work for them and they don't even know it. Right, right. 
So it's kind of like, here's your brain, here's your brain on change. Now, do you want to go run a race? Right? <laughs> here's your brain on change. Right. And so the next time they see you coming, they remember the headache that they had the last time. That's right. I mean, I'm a, I'm a simple guy. I'm telling you, the less stress that you've got to provide, have them solve hard problems that, that, that cause them to get headaches because those hard problems that they solve that they like to solve them, that builds motivation. That's a good thing. But when you're forcing people to figure out your change, it's no different than me trying to figure out the doggone traffic pattern when guys are throwing up orange barrels. It's like, well, where the heck am I supposed to go? Right. Um, and then get lost along the way. Right. I, I think that's a good point. And, you know, another uh, statement that you made in your book is um, all management is change management. What do you mean by that? Well, if you think about one of the, the, the challenges that we have to overcome with change management is we have to figure out how to explain to people what we do. And so when I, I had a question posed by a, a pretty high-level senior vice president one day, he said, what is it? What is it? I said, well, all management is change management. And he thought about it for a second. He goes, that's right. Because if I, the change, if I come into a management role February 16th, 2016-17, and 2018, I haven't changed anything in that group. I, if I haven't improved the, the working spaces, if I haven't achieved some things, I haven't changed anything, why am I still there? Because as managers, we are changing things. The challenge is we may do it well. We may invest in people properly. We may bring their voices in. We may have them help us with the design, or we may not. It goes back to what I said originally about managers being effective or ineffective. But all management really is change management. Uh, the trick is we understand far better, again, things like group dynamics on the team and how to resolve conflict than we understand things like getting stakeholders involved and making sure that you have executive support. Most people don't get all that. Some people are naturally good change managers because they can read the emotional environment that they're swimming in. But um, I just use that because it's a simple way to say this is what it's about. The, the corollary analogy, if I could, to that is when people say, well, what is change management? I ask them, have you ever moved from one place to another? Mm-hmm. Invariably, I don't care if I've been on the phone or on a conference call or if I've been in the Caribbean or Europe, or invariably everyone has moved at least once. Mm-hmm. And then I ask them the question, what is that like? And then they go, well, it's kind of chaotic, you know, it's frustrating, it's stressful. That's change management. No different. Mm-hmm. You've experienced it, everybody understands it. Because, again, what we're trying to do here is simplify the term, and uh, moving from one place to another is, is management. It just okay. happens to be it happens to be a, a, a universally understood analogy. So again, I'm trying to be simple so that people get this stuff. I think it's my background um, in, in educational psychology that probably fits into that. Mm. Yeah, I remember being in one of um, Bill Bridges' uh, courses and seminars, and his uh, version of it was it's when it's when a house becomes a home and, um, you know, after you do a relocation. So I think it is a very good example um, for people to understand. So, you know, we've talked about lots of aspects of change management and, you know, one of the things that 
you had mentioned in terms of um, some of the things that get in the way of good change management was, you know, about executives. And I'm wondering, you know, how how does one get the attention of an executive who is wary of change management? What do they do? Well, the thing that you need to go to is the thing that matters the most to executives, which is you have to speak to them in financial terms. Mm-hmm. And you have to speak to them in terms of data and in terms of of things that make sense. I mean, if you go into any organization and start to talk about the, the racy charts and, and those kinds of things, forget it. But any executive is going to understand that if they try to install an ERP system and they're investing 10 to $12 million in it, they want people to adjust to that. This goes back to I help people adjust to new things. Mm-hmm. And, and to say, well, you're going to invest this money. These are the outcomes that you're expecting to get because that's what your consultant picked, whatever, Booz Allen or Deloitte. Somebody told you that you were going to get uh, another 5 6% profitability going forward. Do you really want to have that happen? And, of course, they do. And then say, well, there's uh, the element of, change that's going on from a technical standpoint here is only about 30% of what really is happening. And I've got data on that, I mean, if you want to go into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the real guts of it is uh, about 65% of, of change adaptation is in the, the people part. So mm-hmm. let's, do it, let's do it that way. And then also ask them, have you ever been through a change that you absolutely despised? I mean, make it personal for them. And the guy's going to say, oh, yeah, you know, they changed the benefit package at my old corporation. It's like, well, why did that go wrong? Well, nobody told us what was going on, and I didn't know that. And I think having that visceral sense of, okay, this was really bad, uh, mm-hmm. that, starts to, that starts to activate some emotions in them that I think you can tap into. Um, I, when we were uh, in the middle of a, of a large change and won't go into the company, I remember um, executives being concerned about losing uh, new people as they were going through a merger and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and I said, well, you, somehow you have to understand they're going through this. You have to communicate directly to them now. And, well, why do we have to do that? I said, because you've gone through the same kinds of things. I mean, you've been in a situation where you didn't know what was happening and you decided to leave a company. So I think those are a couple of things that you could do. But, you know, candidly, that there's, there's no silver bullet. If somebody's averse to change management, I think another way to just go back to is just say, look, this is just this is just good management practice. Let's get a good team together. Let's have metrics. Let's have goals established, and maybe even avoid the change uh, the change term itself. Just say we want to manage this project effectively, um, and then finally showing the metrics about you know pre and post. Mm-hmm. You, you want to put the, you want to put this ERP system in. What do you want to measure today? I mean, that's that's one of my absolute go to cardinal rules. Five or six metrics. Well. What we want to do is ensure that people can take more calls or that we're more profitable or we reduce steps. Because uh, we write those things down and say, okay, this is what we're going to measure. We'll show this to you going forward. They get metrics. They get money. Uh, they get performance. Those things will help. Mm-hmm. Great. That's great. Well, we're almost out of time, but I have one question that I have to ask you. Um, with all your wisdom... And that is, you know, what one piece of advice would you give to a newcomer in the change management field? You know, I've never been asked that question, so I have to think for just a moment. No problem. I, I, I think 
I think the the key is to not get wrapped up in the job you're in. Don't get wrapped up in the terminology. Don't get wrapped up in those things. Get wrapped up in, in assisting your client and mm. helping them get this thing done. And, and get wrapped up in saying, I'm going to help you get this done. I've got some tools. You don't need to worry about those, but I want to help you get this done. As opposed to, you know, when we go through school, we get our MBAs or whatever it turns out to be, we want to be very proud of the terminology and stuff that we've used, but those things get in the way. But n no one in any organization I've ever worked with has um, uh, put, put down somebody who came to them and said, how can I help you get this done? I'm here to help you get this done. I'll use the tools that I have. You don't need to worry about them, but I'm here to help you get this done. That, that's an approach and a, and a mindset that every executive loves to hear. Yeah, I think that's true. I sure. think that's the, true. doesn't matter what it is. I'm here to help you get this done. I want to make you look good. I want to make me look good, make the team look good. Let's not worry about the, you know, the ifs, ands, and buts, crossing the I's and T's, but let me help you get this done. That's what I'm here for. That's great. I think that's very helpful for people because, you know, it also can take some of the pressure off of uh, newcomers in the, in the profession because they don't need to know it all. They just need to be focused on getting the client the results they want. So that's, that's, that's really, really good advice. Well, and that fits with what you've learned through the years as well, right? I mean, clients right. love you because clients are scared. Executives are scared. They're turning right. to somebody to say, oh, my God, I, they won't tell you that because they've got to keep up a leadership persona. But if they have someone who they can turn to and say, you know, I may be only 25 years old, but I'm here, and I've, I've got tools, and I've got network, and I'm going to help you get this done. I'm here to do that. Nobody's going to turn them away. Right. No, in fact, that energy is going to be very attractive to the person who's trying to, you know, figure it out. Absolutely. That's great. Well, Jim, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate all that you've shared. And I would encourage everybody to check out Jim's book, Architects of Change, Practical Tools for Executives to Build, Lead, and Sustain Organizational Initiatives. And I uh, hope that we can have you back on here sometime soon. You're so kind. Thank you so much for, for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be on this call. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast listening to Teresa Moulton of Change Management Review and Dr. James Bone. Be sure to check out our website at changemanagementreview.com. We also invite you to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and join us on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.